This is exactly right. Welcome to the Parent Footprint Show with Dr. Dan. I'm Dr. Dan Peters, your host, and you're listening to Parent Footprint, a weekly podcast where our mission is to make the world a better place, one parent and one child at a time. At Parent Footprint, we strongly believe that the key to raising happy, healthy, and engaged kids is for parents to be happy, healthy, aware, and engaged themselves. Each week, We have wonderful guests. We teach parents, families, educators, and caregivers how to parent with purpose and to leave their best footprint for the next generation. We talk to parenting experts, doctors, therapists, authors, and of course, parents to gain information about how parenting with increased awareness allows purposeful parenting for us to leave healthy footprints on our children. I am excited to have my friend and colleague on the show today, Megan Ironman. We are going to be talking about bringing more mindfulness to your marriage. Megan is a licensed marriage and family therapist. Starting her clinical work in 2003, working with children and families, she worked primarily in nonprofit settings and then started her private practice in 2006 and started to focus more intensively with adults and couples. And she is also the member of the California Association of Marriage and Family Therapists. And most importantly, Megan lives in Napa, California, with her husband of 12 years and her two boys. Megan, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you for having me. So tell us, what drew you to working with couples? This is an interesting group of people that I know <laughs> a lot of people say, wow, why would you want to do that? Mm, good question. You know, I think about you know, honestly, I don't know about you, Dan, but I was early on in my career intimidated by working with couples. And I remember through grad school, the professors that I had that were teaching the couples therapy classes, I don't know, there was this kind of um, don't get into this work unless you're really ready. Um, There's it's intense. It's working with a marriage, a significant relationship. And I just remember feeling um, a bit intimidated by the work. So probably six or seven years ago, I realized working with individuals, individuals would come in and inevitably be discussing their most significant relationships and areas of dissatisfaction. And the narrative continued session after session after session. So I would invite them to bring in their partners for a session. What a novel concept, right. (laughs) And it was really intriguing because the issue that had been talked about with this individual for 30 days was resolved, clarified in 30 minutes. There was this I observed this level of accountability with having both partners present and it was really rewarding. And that's really where it started for me, I would say. So are you saying that problems reside in relationships and you can't just solve them on your own? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, it's, there's so much we can do on our own, but 
when it comes to, you know, we lock in to this story, to this storyline, this narrative that I had referred to, and it's hard to unlock that. And it takes this, it takes dialogue with this particular partner and to feel safe enough to have it. Um, and it's freeing. It's like, oh my God, why have I been holding on to this for three months when really I just needed to have this conversation with you? And why didn't I have this conversation with you? And that just kind of starts this whole, um, it opens up the opportunity to do deeper work. What are, what are typical challenge, couple challenges that you see? And, and are, there, are they different in this day and age than they were, let's say, a decade ago? I've given this so much thought and it's, it's easy for me to, or any of us really to talk about, and I know Dan, you and I have talked about this before, just the role of technology in our culture today and how it's creating so many kind of disconnect, relational disconnects and distractions and not just with couples, but with kids and in our schools and then I reflect, we can reflect on past generations where, you know, Steve Jobs didn't make such a big influence and there were still similar issues. But um, I'd say that distraction, we've always had distractions and we keep ourselves really busy. We create very little space for reflection and that opportunity to check in with ourselves. I think there's the obvious challenges you and I, all of us experience, work, kids, health, money. And as I said, less time, less time to check in, not aware of our own needs. I'd say that those are kind of the cultural challenges. When couples come in, it's when they are no longer recognizing the strengths in the relationship and mm -hmm. we become experts in our partner's flaws. <laughs> that is well said. <laughs> yes. That is very well said. Whereas earlier in the relationship, when we're establishing that attachment to each other, we are almost solely focused on our partner's strengths and that's celebrated and integral to that that bond. Um, so there really is a shift as the years go on, as the stressors increase. And um, it's my job to help couples recalibrate or reorient and kind of take them back to the areas of strengths. So it seems like what you're saying is distractions in general keep us from reflecting on ourselves, being checking in with ourselves, and they certainly, the distractions of life and kids and work and money, as you said, definitely can be distracting and getting in the way of couples' communication. And then the other thing that I think is a really profound way to think about this is when romance and love starts, we think people are wonderful. And then as life goes hmm. on, we get really good at pointing out and processing what's not working for us. And maybe, yes. maybe that's that new story or that new narrative yes. that ends up subtly, but very and insidiously um, being created between a couple or even just within an individual in a couple. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I, it, I think about an anecdote about a couple who, you know, you ask them what's, what are some of the primary challenges and maybe, 
she might say he constantly needs to steal the show. He's so outgoing at times to the point of feeling, I feel ignored or overshadowed. And then you ask the question, what is it that originally drew you to your spouse? And I hear he was so out, he was just so outgoing. He was the life of the party. He was, um, I felt so kind of, safe and taken care of. And he made me laugh. So it's interesting how the very characteristics that drew you to this person are then flash forward five, six, seven, 10, 15 years, and it becomes this area of, of discourse. Um, Mm -hmm. It's really interesting how it's connected, I think. You know, we talk a lot about, um, in relationships in general, power struggles, you know, power struggles with our Mm -hmm. kids. Mm -hmm. Um, certainly comes up with relationships and couples. How do you view power struggles in relationships? Well, I think they're common, certainly, when couples come, by the time they come into my office, the power struggle is pretty well established. My focus in the first few sessions is just noticing the level that couples have disconnected emotionally and how this is impacting they're feeling safe in the relationship. And if they don't feel safe and they've disconnected emotionally, then for many reasons, and we could kind of go into the brain and explain what happens when we feel unsafe, right? It becomes kind of primitive. We feel like we need to protect ourselves. And the power struggle originates from that place. And the partners really feel the need the impulse to protect themselves. And it just goes on and on and on and becomes destructive until they can recognize what exactly is going on. So often you're saying it, it, it's, it's coming from a place of almost preserving one's identity, um, in a sense, almost survival, like I need to hold on to this. It, it is survival. That's a great way of, of saying it. It's they are protecting to the very core. They're protecting oneself. And of course, the ego is so kind of at the forefront here. They're protecting themselves. And when I work with couples to I really enjoy mirroring back what I notice and also finding a language to explain what I observe and just sharing with the couple that it's a power struggle. I'll say that and educating them as to why it's happening. I don't care much about the content of what they bring in, in terms of why didn't he unload the dishwasher or why didn't you call me when you were going to be late, but more kind of the, the origins at the root and it's, I think, easier for couples to understand what they're doing once there's some education around it and why they're doing it. I think there's more understanding. Like, ah, I'm just protecting myself. I get it. Why am I protecting mm-hmm. myself is, is the next part of the work. Well, and you know that awareness is, is a huge uh, part of parent footprint and what we aim to do and something you just said is hit right on that and also relates to, this, uh, to mindfulness, which is just being aware that we are engaging in a power struggle is, is, is half the battle, right? Or half, half, the, half the work. Just, whoa, exactly. I didn't even realize I was doing this. Exactly. It becomes so automatic, yeah. 
So what are some things that couples can do to start creating change if this is if they're dealing with power struggles or they're feeling distracted and disconnected and some of the things that you've discussed so far? Well, as I had kind of briefly mentioned before, one of the most important things that we can do to help is suspend our ego. (laughs) I think the ego naturally wants to defend and protect, and it prevents us from truly working towards solution and understanding deeply our partner and their experience. So I talk a lot about ego with my clients and... And how do you explain that to them when they look at you like, uh, yeah, what's that? Uh, I've heard that, that, that term before. Well, what does that actually mean? So I'll, I actually, and I, I warn clients that I do this. I, I preemptively say, hey, you may be in dialogue with your spouse in this room and I will interrupt you. And you may feel really frustrated with me for doing that. I will, pour, I will interrupt dialogue. I will stop the content and I will ask them to, I have some exercises to help them really check in. What's going on in your body right now? What are you feeling? I feel defensive. Okay, what's underneath that? I feel sad. Um, All right, where are you feeling it? I feel it in my stomach. I feel it in my shoulders. Is this a familiar feeling? Yes. How long have you experienced this feeling? Right? So, I'll really hone in on what are they protecting themselves from and help them understand that the ego is, it's, it's there to help. It's protecting you and it's, you've been able to rely on it forever. Here you are in a safe relationship that hopefully is feeling safer in this room, in the therapy room. You can trust your partner, tell them how you're feeling and It takes us off track, but it deepens the work. And you realize that the content that we were discussing 15 minutes prior didn't even matter. And then at the end, they have a much better understanding of the fact that the ego really gets in the way of the work. So what 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 I'm taking from what you're saying is that the ego is really sort of this this thing called the self or who we are, whatever this, this subjective experience of I, who I am, that's, that's my ego. And Mm -hmm. I always react through my ego, whether it's in my body or in my mind, but it's almost on autopilot. Mm -hmm. And what you're saying is by helping couples focus on what they're feeling in their body and where you're creating Mm -hmm. present moment awareness Mm -hmm. so people can then have choices in how they respond instead of just responding on i guess my words autopilot that's right that's exactly stopping stop and check in and Mm -hmm. for most people including myself that takes work. That's practice because culturally there are, we're bombarded constantly. And to actually take that time out, it's not necessarily celebrated. We have to really prioritize that. And when we live in a culture that prioritizes productivity and it's really tough to find the time, carve the time, prioritize the time to do nothing but to check in. 
So what do you feel, what are, from your experience of working with couples, what, what do you think are the key ingredients of a successful couple or a healthy couple? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Well, first I would say that emotional insight, which, you know, that emotional intelligence, which only increases once the work starts, um, that there's a true willingness to change um, to take a look at your own stuff. That's a key component. You know, once there's, there's more trust in the relationship, then re-engaging with your partner is so, is so important and learning how to continue to engage. And they're typically when they enter into therapy, it's pretty well established how to disengage so re-engaging takes work and, you know, conflict is inevitable in any relationship. And I actually see conflict as opportunity to practice. The repair is the most important piece. And when you feel safe and you feel engaged and conflict comes up, the repair and ability for healthy re-engagement just becomes easier and easier over time. There's other areas that are important, which is taking an interest in your partner's interests, even if it's not yours. It increases that. You mean focusing intimacy. focusing on somebody else except oneself? <laughs> exactly. Know, what's up with that? Exactly. Yeah. There was this really sweet article that was about you know when you have a partner who's standing by the window and sees a sunset, let's say, and their, their partner is sitting on the couch watching a game and really comfortable and cozy and just sat down for the first time. And the partner who's looking at the sunset says, Bob, come over here and please look at this beautiful, beautiful sunset. Clearly she's moved. The, him getting up from the couch and joining her for a moment to see this you know, what's beautiful to her, just that moment, it releases dopamine. I mean, there's just, there's so many positive benefits to the relationship. I know that sounds oversimplified, but, um, not at all. I'm just going to stop for a second. Yeah. Guys, guys who are listening to the show, do you see how easy it is? (laughs) Just get up and walk over to the window. That's 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 right. It It only takes a second. That's right. Just disengage. (laughs) Yes, and disengage from what you're doing and do it. It matters. It changes dopamine in the brain. I love that. I love that. That's right. That's right. And if we're going to continue to gender stereotype here, I just want to. I want to also give a message to kind of what I hear in this room often, and you probably too, too, which is that if, if it's important for you to get flowers on Valentine's Day, tell your partner it's important to get flowers on Valentine's Day. Don't wait for them to crawl inside of your head and know what it is that you need. So that would be another key ingredient is asking for what you need. Don't wait for your partner to get it or to guess it or to intuit, be clear and ask. Wait, Megan, you're basically saying if the first five years of marriage, your spouse cannot read your mind, it's not, I thought at the second five years, they just start reading your mind. I know, I know, that's right, that's right. And then of course, to keep with the theme of our discussion today, more mindfulness, creating more space for reflection, that is so important. I would say that's 
primary. That's up there. It's really important. Yeah, I, I hear. I mean, and time and space is is a commodity which one needs to carve out these days. Like it's so mm-hmm. hard. You have to create time and space. It's it's not going to be given to us. It seems in this uh, day and age that we're living in. Mm-hmm. So the thing that I always find interesting in couples. Um, and the challenge of being in one and the adventure of being in one is you are an individual and then you are a couple. So how do you encourage people that to balance self-care, like focusing on themselves um, and their own balance while also mm-hmm. taking time to connect and to communicate and to show their partner that they care and they matter? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Such a great question. I would say that at the at the onset of therapy, I ask each individual about their health hygiene. That's what I call it, health hygiene. It's not just physical health, but emotional, spiritual health. And it's interesting, I'd say, of course, there are the few that say I run every day. Um, they have a, an exercise regimen. But very often I hear, I don't have time. I came across an article Years ago, it it was in the New York Times. It's called No Time to Think by Katie Murphy. And I cut it out and I brought it into my office and I share it with couples. And I love it because at the beginning, she talks about how she asks people at social gatherings, how are you? And the, the stock answer is super busy, crazy busy, insanely busy. Nobody's just fine anymore. And when people aren't super crazy busy, they're maybe they're exercising, they're entertaining, taking their kids to Chinese lessons, whatever it is, um, fantasy football. But that if there's ever a still moment, maybe we're in line at a grocery store, we um, sitting in traffic, out comes the mobile device. So we make, and I know I've we talked, we've already kind of covered this a little bit, but we take so many steps to avoid that moment. We, we, we are constantly distracted. So helping couples find ways to, and encouraging, of course, exercise is so important. I encourage at least three days a week where your heart rate is up. I encourage, you know, I ask them about any sort of spiritual or religious practice because there's a template in there and it helps me understand kind of what some of their beliefs are. I do encourage journaling. We talk a lot about gratitude, um, at least at the beginning, so they can start to really check in and notice. And then I do, and especially couples with kids, to create opportunity on a weekly basis where they check in. And then on a smaller note, on a daily basis, at least for 10 minutes, where there's intention, we talk a lot about intention, and that intentional time where they designate, sit down, your kids might be bouncing off of walls, but you make eye contact, you sit close, you ask each other how you are, and then you carry on. But just making that initial connection, um, so we, I continue to talk about this in, in most of my sessions with clients ongoing, and it really improves that emotional intimacy, that connection, and benefits the whole family. Well, I'm hearing a lot about checking in, taking time, checking in with self, checking in with other as, as a theme in terms of bringing more mindfulness into your marriage and life. Um, so this question might go without saying, but I'm going to ask it anyways. 
if there is one thing that you could recommend to our listeners to focus on improving or sustaining their relationship, what would one thing be? One. That's an impossible question. One thing. (laughs) Oh, wow. I would say space for reflection. I would say, um, I mean, the first, honestly, the first thing that comes to mind is put your, put your electronic device down. Oh, that Uh, is wonderful. I know that's not as, um, yeah, yeah. It's both literal and metaphorical, right? It's like that device we could say is just the distraction. And then when you put it down, what it means is that you are freed. You're, you have freed yourself the space to notice what's the temperature in the room? What's the weather outside? What are the sounds that I'm hearing? What are my kids doing? What is, what am I, am I hungry? Am I thirsty? It's just, God, when's the last time I exercise? Has the dog, you just kind of, you can take an inventory of how you are and what you need and the, the environment around you. So put the phone down and check in with yourself. I like that. I like that. All right, everyone, do you hear that? Put the phone down and check in with yourself. Okay, it's time for our parent footprint moment, everyone. And this is the part of the show that everyone looks forward to, where we ask (laughs) our guest about an awareness that they had in their parenting or a parenting situation, and that awareness benefited their child in a positive way. So, Megan, I know you've given this thought. What is your parent footprint moment you'd like to share? I have. You know, I could talk about this. How much time do you have? (laughs) Um, I have noticed as a parent, and my kids are six and eight now, so I would say when they were younger, coming home at the end of the day from school, work, entering through the door, and it's easy to list, I have to sweep the floor and put the laundry in the dryer, and right, we all... We all, I'm sure anyone who's listening relates to this piece. I have to get dinner on the table and the kids are kind of spinning around. And I realized there was a lot I was missing. I would get kind of stressed out and irritated because there's just too much, too much, too much at the same time. Someone gave me the gift of suggesting perhaps that I leave that other stuff and take some time to engage. So building in opportunities every day to connect. What I encourage with other families in the work that I do is to have dinner every night together. It's an opportunity for the family to check in and um, it's uninterrupted time. Hopefully, of course, I always encourage don't bring your phones to the table and turn them off better yet. Uh, The second opportunity is bedtime, and it's a really sweet, sweet time. Maybe they'll share a concern that they have or that there's a kid at school that said something mean to them. I realize in those moments how much they're holding, and it is, I'm so grateful for, for that uninterrupted time, and That's a priority to both my husband and I that we really check in with our kids, especially as they're older and the stakes get higher and we really want to be present for them. So that's also a practice, continued practice, because 
as we all know, it's constant distractions. So really kind of fighting against that. I love how you just tied it all together, almost as if you meant to. That was awesome because (laughs) as I am listening to you and the wisdom you're sharing is about checking in with ourselves and then taking the time to connect with our spouse, our partner. And you are talking about doing the same thing with your children, is putting down the phone, having explicit and um, purposeful time to connect in with your kids in a way that you are fully focused. And not only are you enjoying the relationship, but fully present for them. So thank you for that parent footprint moment. That is helpful to all of us. Thank you. All right, that wraps up our show. Megan, thanks so much for giving us your wisdom about how to be a healthy couple and how to be more mindful in our relationships. This is the end of the Parent Footprint Show with Dr. Dan for today. The Parent Footprint Show is sponsored by Parent Footprint, and you can visit us at parentfootprint.com. To learn more about this show or to contact us about the show, please go to podcast at parentfootprint.com. And as always, I'm going to leave you with one question. What footprint do you want to leave?